0: You're listening to Just Ask Malia with Malia Horde from the Malia Realty Group, recorded at Bourbon Barrel Podcasting Studios. Hi, everybody. This is Malia Horde with the Malia Realty Group, and we are on our Just Ask Malia podcast. And today, our collaborative conversation is really exciting as we are one week out from the election of the 2020 election, both on the state and national level. And today we are joined with Jonathan Miller and Steve Robertson. And if you guys haven't heard of either one, you are in for a real treat. Jonathan Miller is the former chairman of the Democratic Party of Kentucky, as well as the Kentucky State Treasurer. And he's known around the world, the country right now, with his Recovering Politician blog. So be sure to jump onto that. And he's considered one of the legal experts on hemp, which is a hot topic. Steve Robertson has served as the chairman and the executive director of the Republican Party of Kentucky for nearly a decade. And he's worked on a very long list of political campaigns, both on the state, the federal and the local levels, and is now a lobbyist. And for full disclosure, Steve is also married to one of our team members, so I want to be very transparent for everybody out there and super excited that um, we were able to get both of them here because of that connection. So welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we really appreciate it. As you know, the elections, you know, he said, she said, are you right? Are you left? Are you red? Are you blue? And you two are highly regarded as the as great legal experts. And so we want to ask you a couple of questions about both the state and the federal level. So let's just start with the sixth district of Kentucky, the congressional seat race. It's Andy Barr, the Republican, and Josh Hicks, the Democrat. And as you know, this congressional seat covers Lexington and the surrounding counties. Andy Barr is a Republican incumbent, and he's served our community over the last four terms. His wife recently died, which was devastating to the public for both parties. And his Democratic challenger is Josh Hicks. He's a Lexington attorney, and he's former member of the U.S. Marines. So tell me, gentlemen, what do you think when, you know, because we don't have those polling numbers to tell us who's who's up, who's down, and the district t- typically has run Republican. But what issues do these candidates run on, and what do you think we should be looking at and concentrating on as voters?
2: I think this has become a closer race than people expected. Uh, Andy Barr uh, is favored, uh, certainly, and, and uh, um, he's the incumbent and uh, has, has won this seat several times already. Josh Hicks is a relative newcomer. He'd run before a close race for state representative. Uh, in the last uh, few weeks, some of the folks that watch this nationally have uh, have indicated that uh, they think the race is tightened. Um, they still give Andy Barr the edge. Uh, and Andy Barr's campaign um, has um, been um, going very – invested a whole lot of money in negative ads against Josh Hicks, which indicates that. You must think it's a race because you don't need to go negative on an opponent that uh, you're, you're going to win by a landslide. Um, you know, what uh, what Josh Hicks is, is running on is, is similar to what uh, we see at the national level. He's talking about uh, health care and uh, about uh, efforts by Republicans, including Congressman Barr, to uh, get rid of uh, the Affordable Health Act, the Affordable Care Act, excuse me, uh, that that would um, – Um, eliminate uh, the ability of people who have pre-existing conditions to get health care. I think focusing on on those kind of bread and butter issues that uh, Democrats tend to focus on. Barr has been um, focusing on uh, the conservative issues of this district, the the economy, and and, um, uh, it has been pointing back to uh, Hicks for being a a trial lawyer and and carrying all the baggage that uh, trial lawyers sometimes do. Uh, this will be, the, I think, the one close race that we'll be watching on, on election night here. And, and uh, again, while I give Barr the advantage, in, today in these elections, you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, and uh, so I, I do think Hicks has a shot.
1: And I, I do agree with Jonathan that this this race is getting a lot more scrutiny. And and, and like Jonathan, I think it'll be a, a pretty close race. You just looked two years ago when when uh, Andy Barr ran against Amy McGrath. Right. Uh, Andy came out with about a ten thousand vote victory in that election, and uh, he got fifty one percent of the vote. Amy McGrath, I think, got forty eight percent of the vote. There were a, a few uh, other candidates in the race that split the rest up, you know. And in that race, um, you know, Amy McGrath had a lot more money than than Andy Barr, and, and I think it really came down. Uh, to not who had the most financial resources to spend on a cam- campaign, it came down to the fact that that Andy Barr is very visible in this congressional district. And, and quite frankly, that's that that helped him defeat Ben Chandler back in uh, 2012. Ben just wasn't really seen. Um, right. and, and people just, I think, thought he lost touch. That, that's one thing that Andy Barr uh, doesn't have to combat in this race. He's, he's very in tune uh, with this district, and that translates into what he does in Washington. He he's always looking to get involved in issues that that affect uh, Central Kentucky. With his position on the uh, financial services committee, we all know that Lexington's economy is is uh, very rich in the the level of financial service businesses that are that are here. But you know, even even when you get down to issues like uh, substance use disorder and the opioid epidemic, Andy Barr has been a real leader in in working to make sure that that people who are in recovery have the resources they need to make it. And he's also supported the University of Kentucky with with some substantial financial su- assistance from Washington to help them uh, better understand the epidemic and how to how to get beyond it and and create. Uh, solutions to, to help a lot of families that are hurting, not only in central Kentucky, but around the state. And, you know, I know people are probably COVID COVID worn out, but, you know, this this opioid epidemic has only gotten worse since the outset of, of COVID. Uh, a, a lot of people's lives have changed, many not for the better. Anxiety levels have increased. And, and when things like that happen, um, sometimes people turn to things that, that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be on their minds. But, uh, but he's he's been uh, he's been a very active congressman, and you know. But you look again, two years ago, you know, Amy McGrath won Lexington by about twenty five thousand votes two years ago, and and I was on uh, KET's election night coverage uh, then, and and I think i had walked in and, and said to one of my fellow panelists that if Andy loses Lexington by more than twenty thousand votes, I think this is going to be hard to win. But what we saw. Uh, in the uh, uh, in 17 of the uh, remaining 18 counties in the district, Andy won those by uh, by and large a two to one margin and and I think that and maybe we'll get into this topic as we as we move into the. US Senate race and the presidential race. But one thing that we're seeing here in Kentucky is is really uh, an exacerbation of this urban rural divide. We're starting to see the the major metropolitan areas, uh, start to move more towards the Democratic Party and we're starting to see every other corner of Kentucky become increasingly red uh, more towards the Republican Party but it, it'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out um but you know I think I think uh, you know Andy Barr is a favorite but certainly that that could be uh, it could be a close race and who knows when we'll know the results with, with all of the ballots that are coming in by mail uh, it, it might take a while
0: it's interesting because you, and we'll probably get it more into the senator race as well, for the state, um, you mentioned with the media and the money coming in, and that's been a hot topic around some of the you know, kitchen tables is there's so much money spent on these elections and outside money coming into the states to affect the election. And I think when we get to the Senate race and talk about that, you'll really see it because the Senate race is so such high exposure nationwide because of who's running. Um, how do you guys feel with that, with outside money coming in to influence or use to marketing? That seems to be a big question with the little people.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those issues where everybody um, complains about it and uh, thinks it's a bad thing, but it doesn't affect the, the ballots, that uh, people don't go to the polls and say, I'm going to vote for this candidate because he was less mean uh, or that he raised less um, money out of state. Uh, So the fact is that uh, both sides uh, are going to raise whatever money they can, uh, legally, hopefully, uh, and uh, from whatever sources. And uh, it it really does make a difference. And uh, Andy Barr has been always very good at raising money. both from in state and out of state, and, and Josh Hicks has, has done a, a, a job that surprised a lot of us at, at raising. He's not as much as Barr, but has has raised a uh, a respectable amount, and so that's that's made it into you know a race to watch.
1: And let's let's give credit where credit is due. The the Democratic Party nationally um, uh, several years ago made a significant commitment to start developing. Small donors who contribute online all across the country and all they do is point an email, point a text, uh, point a tweet out to candidates that they want people to get involved with, and, and they do. And it's taken a long time to get to that point, but that's really become um, a big asset for for candidates running for the Democratic Party, because it it creates uh, an almost an automatic source of substantial revenue. And I'm sure Josh Hicks has raised a good amount of money from that platform. And I know Amy McGrath has. I mean, when she announced uh, her race for the U.S. Senate, I think she raised $20 million almost in the first day. But but that's I, I've never really been concerned about uh, a candidate raising a lot of money. Uh, I think it's uh, quite frankly, it's, it's okay. It, it's it's an expression of speech and, and you want candidates to receive funds. Where it really becomes a, a mismatch it, or where it becomes uh, an issue in the in the delivery of a campaign is when one of the candidates doesn't have enough money to go out and wage a, a reasonable campaign. And, and here in Kentucky, none of the races we're going to talk about today fall in that category. Everyone has raised enough money to go out and run a legitimate campaign. And and uh, as some of your listeners um, are probably growing tired of all of the communications, so am I. Yeah, <laughs> uh, It was actually refreshing last night. I had a real live Lexingtonian uh, come to my door. Uh, they, they walked up, rang the doorbell, walked off the front porch, uh, stood in the walkway and started talking to me about her candidates uh, of choice. And that's been difficult to do uh, in this COVID environment. But uh, even I, who have been involved in campaigns for over 20 years, uh, find it refreshing when someone comes to my door and makes their case.
0: That relationship. Oh, yeah. So let's move on to the Senate race, because the Kentucky-U.S. Senate race seems to be an extremely hot topic. It's gotten a lot more attention in the media, both locally and nationwide, It's the Senate race between our Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, who is a six-term Republican incumbent, and the Democratic challenger, Amy McGrath. And as you mentioned, Steve, Amy ran against Andy Barr two years ago for the congressional seat. Amy is a pilot in the U.S. Marine Corps, and when she lost the race for the congressional seat two years ago, we weren't quite sure where she was coming, and now she's back as the Senate race. So the most recent polling data from the Mason-Dixon shows McConnell leading McGrath by nine points. What do the Kentucky voters need to know about this race? What do you think some of the hot topics are in the impact of winner-loser?
1: You know, I, I think there's two things. It's rare when uh, a state has a majority leader in the right. United States Senate. And, and this and is
0: what, our second time does this happen. Um,
1: yeah, he, he's, he's, he's uh, been majority leader for a while now. And, and what comes with that, though, is clout. When things are being decided for Kentucky, we certainly have someone in that chamber who can fight for Kentucky. You look right now at the, at the disagreement occurring between Nancy Pelosi and Leader McConnell over additional uh, financial resources to uh, help with COVID relief. Mitch McConnell, I think, is very keenly focused on how does Kentucky stack up in that. And, and Nancy Pelosi's plan right now, Puerto Rico would get more money than Kentucky. And I think that there are some fundamental differences about what, how much should something like that be. McConnell certainly has a more conservative approach. Uh, Pelosi's uh, proposal is, is, is substantially more. You know, but you start getting into fundamental disagreements about uh, the scope of what government should be doing. You know, having someone like Mitch McConnell who can fight for Kentucky is valuable. The, the second thing for people who care about this, and I think most people do, is the fact that McConnell's legacy uh, from serving in the United States Senate will be the fundamental transformation of the federal judiciary and everything that they've done over the last three plus years now to to reshape the federal bench and put in place federal judges who will look at the law and look at the constitution and make their decisions based on those two things. And, and no level of judicial activism uh, is something that this country really needs, especially if we want uh, our economy to thrive. Um, But, but I think that ultimately his legacy will be what he's done uh, and what he will do next week with Amy Coney Barrett, when she's confirmed to the U S Supreme court, but but generally, what what the Senate has done under his leadership to transform the federal judiciary that that's huge.
2: You know, I, I think uh, when most people you ask about this race, they you know roll their eyes and say, "If I see one more television ad, I'm going to go crazy." <laughs> so true. Uh, and uh, you know, so many of them are negative. And you know, I, this will uh, this is I, I assume the second most expensive race in the country behind the, the presidency and and. Uh, I think people are really tired about it. If you uh, you look at it in a good sense, though, unlike the presidential race, uh, this race is being fought over the same set of facts. So there is an agreement here uh, that one of the real issues uh, of the race is that uh, McConnell has been in office for 36 years. And uh, Steve gave you the McConnell side of that, which is he's been able to accumulate a lot of clout and and, – and be in a position to help Kentucky uh, based on that cloud. And Amy McGrath is saying, hey, that's too long. We, we we need term limits. He hasn't done enough for Kentucky during that period, and we need uh, we need to have a change. And uh, it really will be a, a reflection of how people view that uh, in terms of when they go to the, the ballot, uh, if they haven't gone already, um, in terms of whether that is the, the preferred approach or not. Uh, Uh, I think, uh, unlike the the bar race, uh, this race, as you noted, in in the polling is is quite wider. Um, I think McConnell is heavily favored to win. But again, this is uh, a a new politics here. Uh, Very few people expected uh, Donald Trump to win in 2016. And uh, given the way we're voting and through the mail and uh, the concerns about COVID in person, You just don't know who could vote. So that that uncertainty is giving Amy McGrath a chance here. Uh, In a typical election, we probably would say it's over, McConnell's going to win. But uh, given all these crazy circumstances, you you just really never know. Yeah, and when he says a chance, I
1: think Amy McGrath has a good chance of winning Lexington and Louisville by epic margins. And then there's 118 other counties, I think, that uh, will absolutely wash any shot that she has of winning this race right down the you-know-what. But um, (laughs) – it's not going to be a close race. Uh, this, this one's over. And, um, uh, and, and I think it's because, uh, people in Kentucky, they understand what Mitch McConnell has done and they understand the importance of having him there. And I think it'll be reflected on election day or a week or two later, whenever the counting is finished.
0: Okay. So a little devil's advocate, and you brought up a great point, which we'll get into the presidential race about 37 years, Joe Biden, 47 years. So that, it's going to be an interesting point to loop around again. But as you mentioned, Lexington and Louisville, highly Democratic, the rest of the state, very red. And in those other 118 counties, there's just mom and pop, right? Sitting in a farmland or the rural areas that maybe aren't as enlightened, but we have listeners over 11,000 that actually will receive this in their inbox and then, you know, tens and thousands of people beyond that. If Mitch McConnell loses, what is that impact? Explain that to just the regular average American state, you know, Kentuckian.
1: Right. So so if, if Mitch McConnell were to lose this election, uh, first, it would mean that Kentucky – Really doesn't have any influence in the United States Senate, man. Quite frankly, maybe the United States Congress whatsoever. Correct. Um, you know, because if he loses, it means the Senate has then become, I would imagine, uh, heavily Democratic. Uh, if 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 a seat like uh, Kentucky goes the other way, and and it means that we will literally be fighting for scraps that fall off the table. Um, As we move forward and, and, you know, and every state has been uh, impacted negatively by, by what we've been going through in in 2020. But, you know, Kentucky is a small state and and, and that's one good thing about the U.S. Senate. Every state gets two. And so there's a lot more equity in that chamber and, and having someone in leadership uh, matters and, and it would absolutely be devastating for us.
2: Jonathan. Now, if if again, very long odds, but I do think it's possible. But if if uh, if Amy McGrath wins this, it, it will likely mean that uh, Joe Biden has won this by a landslide. Uh, that uh, nationally, I can't imagine any circumstance where Biden wins Kentucky, um, but it would mean that it was a lot closer than anyone uh, could have imagined. Uh, we will have uh, an overwhelming. Supermajority of Democrats in in Congress, uh, which, from a Democratic point of view, is a, is a great thing. I, I think that you know the odds of that happening again are, are very long, but uh, there is this real level of uncertainty based on um, you know who's going to vote and, and how people are going to vote, and and um, uh, I think that leaves open the possibility.
0: So when we look at the polls, right? The Mason Dixon poll says that. McConnell's above McGrath by nine points. We look at the national polls, you know, depending on what mainstream news media you look at or what internet resource you use, the polls are, by and large, not the same. How accurate are they?
1: That's always a topic of discussion, usually after the election, because... uh, (laughs) Uh, The side that did not prevail on election day uh, always insists that their polling uh, said that they were right in the, (laughs) right in the mix. But, you know, I think there's other data points that I like to look at when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out where a state or a particular district might go. And, and, And you look at, let's just look at Kentucky since, since 2016 for, for every political affiliation that's measured and tracked by, by, the uh, state board of elections. You've seen growth. You look at whoever uh, people register can, can register for a category called other, whatever that is. And in, in the last four years, that they've grown by three thousand registrants. Independents have grown by thirty-nine thousand. Libertarians have grown by six thousand. The Green Party's grown by two hundred voters. The Constitution Party by four hundred voters, the Reform Party by fifty-five voters, and the Socialist Workers Party—we do actually have one here—has wow. grown by two hundred voters. Wow! You look at the, uh, the the Republican Party in Kentucky; it's grown by two hundred thirty thousand voters in the last four years. And then you look at the Democratic Party; they've lost twenty-one thousand voters in the mm. same time period. There's only there's only one group that has moved backwards. And it's the Democratic Party, and and the fact that you know Donald Trump won Kentucky by nearly six hundred thousand votes in twenty sixteen. Well, the registration environment is no worse; right. it's a lot better for him. Um, Mitch McConnell defeated Allison Grimes by uh, about two hundred and twenty votes in twenty fourteen. The environment hasn't gotten worse since then; it's gotten better. And let's face it, uh, Allison Grimes is a lot more likable. Uh, and was a lot more consistent on her public positions than than Amy McGrath. Um, you, you know so w- you, you look at the polling, but you look at the real numbers, the people that sit underneath those numbers, and there's nothing that's happened here that would suggest to me that the environment in Kentucky is worse. It's only
2: better but but that's that's the data I like to look at.
0: Jonathan, you want to rebuttal on that?
2: <laughs> I personally think Amy McGrath is a stronger candidate than Alison Grimes was, uh, but we'll we'll see on election day who who got uh, who got closer <laughs> to McConnell. I, I, Frank Luntz uh, tweeted uh, last night that if uh, Donald Trump wins the presidency, then uh, his pollster profession is going to be out of business. So uh, I think that uh, we'll all be. Again, looking at uh, what happens here, it's it's obviously much more difficult to be a pollster uh, given the age of cell phones and and uh, uh, and uh, also now again I keep coming back to this the the disruption due to COVID. Um, but uh, I'm I'm one of those people that goes onto Nate Silver's uh, site five thirty eight. I click on it at least thirty times a day to make sure that uh, Joe Biden is safely ahead uh, in the average of all the polls out there, and and take a look at uh, the the Senate polls and, and House polls that they have as well. Uh, I'm still a believer, and and uh, and to be fair, again, uh, we all think that uh, the pollsters got it wrong in 2016. But the fact is, Trump. Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton was favored to win by an average of polls, uh, on election day of by three points. She won by two points of the popular vote. Now that did not carry her the electoral college, obviously. Um, but, uh, uh right now the average of polls shows, uh, Biden up by about 10 points. I think that will narrow. Um, but, uh, if, uh, Biden wins, uh, uh Comfortably by five or six or more, he'll win the Electoral College, and, and uh, the pollsters will take a deep breath that they'll have at least another four years of being employed. Right. And, and I don't think that Kentucky is really um,
1: in question in the presidential race. Donald Trump should win here easily. But, you know, this is going to be decided in Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, Arizona. Um, states that are that are real battleground states, and and five thirty eight uh, the website that Jonathan just mentioned, I think uh, all eyes are on Pennsylvania. That could be the linchpin to the uh, to the whole election with their twenty electoral votes. We'll, we'll have to see. Again, we may not know until mid November uh, what has actually happened in some of these areas if they are as competitive as some people suggest, like Pennsylvania and Michigan and a few others.
0: So do you think in Kentucky we'll know the senator outcome quickly?
1: We may feel pretty confident in in the outcome of the US Senate race on election night. That's possible. Andy Barr's race, that who knows? That one that one may take longer to sort out and work through. The presidential I think will will have a pretty good idea. Uh, but you know there will still be a a lot of mail-in ballots that that need to be processed and counted and um so it, i trust that that county clerks across the state will get through it pretty quickly they did a, they did a fine job honestly in the primary of working through that and i can't imagine the workload that they're going to go through but uh i, I suspect you know in a, in a week we should a week week and a half we should probably have a, a good number
0: and I think what most people don't realize is when they go to actually register to vote, even early, it's not a machine. So it's a it's a physical ballot that they have to fill out and put into a box, and they're not supposed to be counted until election night. Right.
1: Which, honestly, so. I prefer. I, I love a paper ballot, ballot you know, because I've actually been involved in a presidential recount down in Florida in 2000. And when you have a paper ballot, if there's a close race, at least you have something to look at. Correct. You know who knows? I mean, may, maybe there will be some election practices for, uh, that that emerge from 2020 that stick around. Um, you know, I think we're probably seeing a higher level of participation. I think for a lot of people, it's it's more convenient uh, to vote. Uh, I know opinions are mixed about voting by mail, but uh, you know, I don't know. I mean,
2: at, at the end of the day, uh, making it easy to vote is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and this is one area where, in this highly polarized partisan. Atmosphere that we've seen really good bipartisan cooperation between Michael Adams, the Secretary of State, and, and Andy Bashir, the Governor, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I particularly give credit to Adams because he's doing he's helped uh, expand the mail-in voting and absentee voting uh, at the uh, with the objections of some on the right, and so he's taken some political fire for doing that from his his right wing, and so he he deserves credit for uh, being bipartisan on that. I agree. I agree.
0: Okay, let's move on to the president race. The final race is that we'll talk about is the presidential race. It's the most important race, right? People believe it has the most powerful position in the world. Some other call it the leader of the free world. And I can't remember a race that's ever been more contentious. I've seen the attitudes. I've seen friends and family, um, business associates become extremely volatile in talking about it people don't want to talk about it then if they do talk about it we're hearing a lot of cancellation of friendships so we have donald trump who's the republican he's held the office for four years he totally surprised everybody when he won the opposing side and then we have joe biden who has been a democrat and previous vice president of the united states he's been in politics for the last 47 years so gentlemen gentlemen what do you think the most important issues for these candidates are that people are looking at?
2: I think this is, this election is about one thing. It's a re- referendum on Donald Trump. And, um, uh, I think the, uh, Republican party would have loved to make this more a referendum on the choice between Trump and, and Biden. Um, but, uh, Donald Trump has made this about himself and continues to make it about himself. And, and, uh, uh, for, uh, for that reason in particular, I, I'm, I'm, I believe and I'm particularly hopeful that, uh, um, that uh, Biden will not just win this thing but, but win it comfortably in a way that we won't have to be counting ballots for a long time afterwards and that uh, won't give Trump an opportunity to claim that uh, malfeasance uh, should overturn the election. We saw. We just uh, were taping this right after the debate, uh, the the final debate. Uh, um, I, I thought Biden uh, won the first half. I thought Trump won the second half. I, so it, I give it a draw, and and uh, and a draw is good for Biden because he's just the the more he, the more that nothing happens, <laughs> there's no further scrutiny and issues, no big bombshells drop. Uh, you know, he's sitting on a, a 9, 10 point lead, and and hopefully that means he'll win.
1: Yeah. And the, the nine to 10 point lead statement, I think is a little empty because ultimately it's going to come down to a handful of states. And and any any one of those states is teetering on the edge of going one way or another. And, and I think when, when people look at this race, um, you know, Donald Trump has one of those personalities, you either you either love it or you hate it. Um, and even some of the people who hate it, like the fact that he's not someone who was born of Washington, D.C., I think a lot of people like the fact that he is so out of tune with the political machinations of Washington, DC that they find it strangely refreshing. And, and I think that uh, this is going to be an election that, that will probably keep us up for a while. Um, We'll know quickly in Kentucky, but uh, it's one of those things. The electoral map is a funny thing. And, and um, some of these States I think are going to take a while to help us understand who actually won. Uh, you, you know, listening to the Trump campaign uh, uh it sounds like everyone is going to become extremely familiar with Hunter Biden over the over the closing week of this race and uh you know honestly with with the way a lot a lot of the voting is occurring uh I I think if this revelation uh, occurred maybe uh, a month and a half ago um it might've been more impactful than coming out a week before the election. Cause so many people have just voted, including people who, who were maybe persuadable they voted because it's convenient to to get your ballot by mail to, uh, to go early and vote uh, in a voting center. But I, you know, it, it it's certainly been a campaign with, with a tone that I will not forget anytime soon.
0: It's interesting when we sit around the office or go out with friends and family the big conversation is do you want a president that you like or you want a president that will go out there and fight for you? And I think both sides are trying to uh, present that argument. That one is very compassionate, the likable guy, the personality, the other one's trying to present it that we fight for you and it doesn't, don't go off on how we sound and you don't have to like what we, how we sound or what we say. It's, are we doing the job? So I see that constantly in conversations around My tables with people, I also, you mentioned Hunter and Donald, people talking about, well, if this was Donald, would it get the same media if if it's Hunter? So we can go back and forth with that all day long. I think some of the issues that we're hearing people talk about are obviously the internet influence and how that's influencing the vote, the Supreme Court. You know, Is it going to be packed? Is it not going to be packed? Foreign policy, energy, they're talking about how do you open up the nation and i think that's for a lot of the small businesses is how do we open back up the nation regardless of who wins right do you, do you think they're similar in their approach
2: you know i think uh joe biden is is uh got a, a very balanced approach and uh is uh, he articulated well last night during the debate that uh you know he wants to open up the nation he wants to open up schools but uh, that it's going to require significant um input of federal resources to make sure that they have uh, uh, rapid testing and uh, that there are safeguards uh, in uh, in schools and in, in restaurants etc and uh, but that he treats this as a very serious issue um, with Donald Trump you just don't get the sense that he's treating this seriously and and uh, I think that that's that's shown with, you know, his well, uh, rapid decline in the polls. Jonathan, I don't know if that's fair. I mean, you have you have Governor
1: Bashir every time he issues a new order, every time he issues new guidance, he cites uh, recommendations from the White House and and that the guidance being taken in Kentucky largely follows the recommendations coming from the White House and and the current individual at the top of the food chain in the White House is President Donald Trump. So so I think that look, both both Donald Trump and Joe Biden want this country to get back to to normal, or whatever our new definition of normal will be. Uh, I would imagine that they will have different approaches, but but uh, trying to respond to this uh, global pandemic, um, this it, it, is a tough thing. I'm glad I'm not a governor. I'm glad I'm not a president right now, trying to work through it.
0: But, Honestly, who would want this position? But, but people of
1: both parties, while they've disagreed on a lot of things that have occurred. Uh, you do see a lot of synergies between what states are doing, even states led by Democratic governors in terms of their deference to White House guidance. Uh, so so I, I think I think both individuals want to see this country come back and you know and at the end of the day I think voters are going to have to look at which person's policies are going to promote the most rapid economic recovery possible. You look at where this economy was, prior to COVID, the Donald Trump economy was firing on all cylinders. So there, there is when you become president of the United States, there's this whole federal government infrastructure that sits around you, the EPA, the department of transportation, commerce, all of these agencies. And you have to look at who are the people that Joe Biden would install in those positions. Are these going to be people who are going to be advocates for the private sector or are they going to be people who are going to be more prone to additional regulation, additional oversight, which ultimately reduces uh, – which stifles uh, economic growth? You know, so, so if you want to look at – if you're a voter and you're trying to make a decision about who you want to elect, you need to think about who's – which administration is going to have a public policy approach that's going to encourage rapid growth.
0: That's right, and I think here in Kentucky we've seen the impact of jobs leaving the state, right? We look at some of our biggest employers where they have taken people that have come from other countries and gotten trained by um, our state employees, and then those employees are losing their job. We see things being consolidated with some of our companies here that are the major employers. Um, And we're seeing a lot of relocation, at least from the residential real estate side, we're seeing a lot of the companies relocate their, their employees out or they're losing their jobs. So I think, you know, that foreign trade, that foreign policy on how we're going to do manufacturing and um, promote the economy instead of sending it out is going to be a huge issue. I think we also have the issue of the deficit and, I'm surprised that we're not talking about that more during this campaign. We've got, what, $30 trillion almost yeah. in a federal deficit. This
1: nation left the gold standard uh, behind long ago, and, and I fear that there's no looking back. Um, you know, the, the, the U.S. dollar now stands on its own two feet. And I, I don't – I really – and it's unfortunate. I don't think there's any way to get back to uh, – nor at this point should we. Uh, we're so far beyond it, but but – you know, our, our economy certainly is not built on the foundation it was before, but you know, the, hey, good news for Kentucky as a result of uh, uh, COVID is, is in my travels around the state, I've been to a lot of small communities that have had uh, people who work in New York, people, people who work in Chicago. Uh, they've, they've come to an area of Kentucky that has some level of tourism attraction, particularly recently in areas around Lake Cumberland and you, and you have a lot of people who now realize that they don't necessarily need to live in New York or live in Chicago, uh, to still work for someone there. Um, and, and this is, uh, uh, the product of working remotely. And now that, now that it's become more mainstream, you know, I do think places like Kentucky, um, are going to be viewed as uh, maybe an area that people actually do want to relocate to. And uh, I know that really doesn't relate to what we're talking about, but maybe some of your listeners, it certainly relates to what you do. I think Kentucky, uh, places like Kentucky are getting looks
2: from people who are looking to get out of big city environments. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very bullish about that as well. I, I do most of my work in Washington um, on behalf of uh, the hemp industry. Um, but since March, I've been doing all of my Washington work out of, out of Lexington, uh, and I think you're going to see a whole lot of people um, choosing to uh, to work out of their home or to work remotely, and I think that's going to benefit places that are that, that give a higher quality of life and a lower standard of living, like, like Kentucky, where you can you can have a, a job that uh, is uh, um, you know reflects a, a national or international practice, but but do it out of a of a beautiful place and. Like uh, like Lexington or like Kentucky, so hopefully that will help uh, the real estate market here as well. And uh, I've
0: got to tell you, I haven't had a day off since COVID, and we got shut down in the state of Kentucky. Um, and I think a lot of my counterparts are the same way. What's been really interesting from the real estate side is the amount of relocation that's coming into the state. That's We're seeing people from Boston, New York State, um, uh, Myrtle Beach, California, Seattle coming here, Idaho, Colorado, it's been remarkable um, because I think people are working remotely and it gives them the flexibility, the the amount of land and property that you can get here in Kentucky and the value and the culture. I mean, we have the bourbon, we're the horse capital of the world, we're the bourbon capital of the world, we're the lock capital of the world, um, which many people don't realize, right? We train all the CIA and FBI and all the world governments across the you know across the world you know how to open up locks we have the hospitals we have the universities we have a lot to offer here you know when i moved here 21 years ago i was the laughing stock of my friends back in new jersey like why are you going to kentucky well obviously it was because love and marriage brought me here um but when i look at it i tell them now listen one, you could be here too, but if it was on the water, everybody would be here, right? And it's a well-kept secret that we love sharing. I think we have a lot to offer, and that's why people are flocking here, yep. right? A yep. lot of investors too find it's one of the top ten places for investment.
2: Well, I, you know, my uh, we were talking before the show started. My my youngest daughter went away to school and. Um, has a job that's uh, remote and uh, is now moving back home to Lexington. And uh, uh, I know that uh, that's good for the real estate market and good for the economy, but uh, particularly for her mom and myself, it's, uh, it's really particularly good. good. And so I, I, I'm hopeful that this represents a big change in in, that, in the right direction.
0: So what do you guys think? There's been a big issue about the delayed vote, having that delayed answer of who's going to win this presidential election with that there's been also the topic of conversation on both sides of will you concede and both sides are asking that, right? We've heard Hillary Clinton say under no circumstances are you going to concede. And then you hear Mr. Uh, President Trump, are you going to concede if you lose? Like, how do you guys see that working?
1: You know, one, one characteristic of this great country that we live in is the peaceful transition of power. And, and I have no doubt, that uh, if there is to be a transition in the white house that it will be a peaceful transition i think it's i'm not going to judge a candidate if they're not willing to concede an election uh, on on election night there's there's a lot of votes that, that have to be counted and and they owe it to themselves and their supporters to understand what the actual outcome is and with the volume of uh uh, Mail in ballots that that are out there in this election, not just in Kentucky but all over the nation, uh, it, it's it's going to take a while to get through it, and, and it's difficult. You know, Jonathan and I are, are are creatures of politics, and we've we've been conditioned that at a, a certainly by one o'clock in the morning, you know, after the polls have closed on election night, we know what's happened. I, I learned firsthand in two thousand that 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 was my first experience with election where that wasn't the case. I, I think uh, candidates need to be cut a little slack in this election if they're not ready to step up and concede just because there's just so much out there that'll take time to get through.
2: I, I think a lot of Democrats are really scared uh, about what happens if Biden wins states like Pennsylvania by two or three in Florida, the, the, the tipping point states that uh, Steve mentioned, and then Trump comes out and, and, um, and claims that there was uh, – a corruption or malfeasance or, or whatever else he's been setting the table for for the last few months. I'm less scared uh, because I think even though he does that I, I do believe in, in our systems and I do think that that the Republican Party establishment um, people like Senator McConnell, uh, former President Bush, um, others will will step in if, if it is a clear victory in. Uh, advise the president to to go for the peaceful transition so i'm i'm, I'm not that scared um but uh, there is part of me that that does worry and and uh, that that part of me really especially hopes that biden wins by uh, the kind of margin that makes that discussion impossible yeah. and, and let's face it close elections bring out the
1: worst in both sides mm-hmm. um having been through one i, I mean I, the day after the presidential election in 2000 i received a phone call and that afternoon i was on a plane to florida and, and one of the most repulsive things that I've ever seen occur in an election happened in the uh, the office of the Apalachicola uh, election supervisor when a team of Gore attorneys came in with the sole purpose of disqualifying overseas military ballots in the absentee process. And then on the converse, uh, there was a lot of footage, footage from an angry Republican mob in the Miami-Dade uh, election office. I mean, but but – but close elections bring out the worst in both. And, and, and whether it's Joe Biden edging up two or three points, maybe in Pennsylvania, or if Donald Trump wins by two or three points in Pennsylvania or Florida or Michigan or Arizona, go through the list. The opposing campaign is going to engage. That's right. Period. This is Regardless. not a one-sided issue. Uh, Trump will engage in a state if he thinks he has to. Biden will engage in a state if he thinks he has to. They will have cadres of attorneys out there in expensive suits and shorts because nobody owns pants anymore in in the era of COVID. It's all just from the waist up. Um, but, But they will be in there, and they will be pros, and they will fight for every vote that they can fight for, period.
0: So we've seen a lot of looting, rioting, the topic of defunding the police, the Second Amendment. How do you think that will play in? This election, after the election, we're waiting for that. You know, I think that's a big concern of a lot of people.
1: You know, I hope, hope, uh, and I do believe that there will be a, uh, if there's a transition, a peaceful transition of power, but I also hope that no matter what the result is, is that the American people are willing to demonstrate a similar level of peace um, and, 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 that's a good thing about increased participation in an election. And I think that we will see higher participation in this election than we typically see because many aspects of voting have become more convenient. Um, you know, the purpose of an election is to go make your, make your peace, make your statement and do that through your vote. And when the election is over and the votes are counted and there's a result, accept it. it it's, it's been happening for, for ages here in this country and hopefully that, that uh,
2: will continue. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about violence after this election. I think uh, we will probably see what we saw after the 2016 election, which was um, the, the if Trump wins, the, the kind of peaceful demonstration, the women's marches that uh, we saw last time that I thought were also good for, for democracy. So, but again, I'm, I'm hopeful it's not gonna be that close.
0: Great. You guys have been amazing.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, it's great. You guys have been wonderful. For all of you out there that have not voted yet, you can do so all the way up until November 3rd. We highly recommend and encourage everyone to get out there. If you need rides, there's plenty of people that will drive people. But your vote matters. And if you don't vote, you need to be silent because you had your opportunity to give your voice. And that's what America is so great about is that we are a democracy And the people are heard. So I appreciate you, Steve. I appreciate you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us. I tried really hard to be just a moderator, ask questions because um, I wanted to hear what each one of you had to say. And it was very insightful for all of us. And for all of you out there, if you haven't listened to our podcast, be sure to download Just Ask Malia. Be sure to go back and Make sure you listen to uh, com And Steve, what's your poll of
1: choice? I don't trust any of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and be sure to Google these guys. These guys are amazing. We appreciate your time and your effort and your insight. And remember, when you're ready to buy, sell, build, or invest, just ask Malia. Well, that wraps up another great podcast. Thank you so much for joining us at the Just Ask Malia's podcast series. It's always a pleasure to help the local and future residents of Kentucky make smart real estate decisions. And we love connecting you to our community. And that's why we do this. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast series. Make sure your friends and family know all about it. Tag, like us, find us on Facebook, social media. And remember, when you're ready to buy, sell, build, or invest, I'm your girl, Just Us Malia.